But if you have a Bible today, why don't we go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And, um, you know, this morning we have a special day. It's Mother's Day. We have communion later on. And, uh, you know, we really need to work our way through the Bible. And so uh, this chapter, Matthew 15, is really an amazing, amazing chapter. And, you know, one of the things that we see as we study the Bible is that even great theologians or great thinkers, they will never touch the bottom of these amazing truths. And so we're going to go through it, and you're going to see there's so much packed into this chapter right here. But the cool thing about it is even though we can't really touch the bottom of it and exhaust this, we'll never ever be able to do that, we can come away some, with some you know, practical understanding of what this chapter teaches. And so as we go through this, I really encourage you guys just to open up your hearts and, and watch what we learn today together. As you begin reading in verse 1, it says this, And then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, they came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The first thing we see as we look at the chapter in verses 1 through 20 is we see a great foolishness. It's a great foolishness here when we look at the scribes and the Pharisees. They came from Jerusalem. They traveled a great distance. They probably traveled about seven days to come to Jesus. They came a long way. And they could have come a long way. They could have really changed. Their whole life could have been transformed if only they had uh, the right motive. You see, they came a long way. They traveled a great distance, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day, but they came only to find fault with Jesus Christ. And here we see, as they came, you read Mark chapter 7, it gives us the full picture. They came and they asked Jesus, hey, man, your disciples, they're transgressing the tradition. They're transgressing the Mishnah. It was the oral law that had been handed down from Moses. It wasn't recognized by Jesus Christ as being binding and authoritative. They said, you guys are, you know, transgressing the tradition is that when you eat your food, problem is you guys don't wash your hands. And to them, that was a great, great sin. And you look at that, and I don't know if you guys can see it, but that to me is a great foolishness. 
You know, one of the things about the scribes and Pharisees that just breaks your heart is that they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the representatives of God. And so, you know, they had all these things that were not right. Their lips were right. They said the right words. They sang the right songs. They did all the right religious ruts and routines, but they really didn't have a heart that loved God and loved the people. As a matter of fact, the scribes and Pharisees, one of the problems they had is that when they would go to the mall, they would go to the marketplace, they would try to stay away from the sinners. And the reason why they wanted to wash their hands and wash all the things in a certain way is because they felt that when they went to the malls, that they became defiled. And so they came up with this rule, this regulation. Hey, you've got to wash your hands when you come back from the mall, man, because you might be tainted by sinners. These were the religious leaders. You see, they didn't have the heart that God has, you know. I mean, I just want to share with you guys, and we need to really be uh, just uh, an understanding about this. Man, I don't know about you. Some people say, I don't like to go to the mall for whatever reason. They, they say there's sinners there, and that's cool. You know, the mall's expensive. I don't really like going to the mall for that reason. But, man, let me tell you something. I, I, I love to be around sinners. I do. Now, I know not everyone is strong enough to be around certain settings. I understand that. If that's where you're at, you need to make sure that your priority is your relationship with God. But man, hasn't God called us to be lights in the darkness? Hasn't God called us to be salt on the earth? How will they know about Christ unless somebody tells them? You know, the Pharisees, there were 6,000 of them. They were the religious leaders. They were called the separated ones. And they didn't have a clue about the love that God has for the lost. And I just pray, you guys, we wouldn't have this great foolishness in our heart. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they did that was so crazy, and I still see it in the church today, is that they elevated the traditions of men over the commandments of God. You know, one of the little, you know, loopholes that the Pharisees came up with was that they said, you know, if you want to, you don't have to help your mom and dad out. You know, the commandment of God, the the fifth commandment in the Bible, you read it there in Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, is to honor your father and your mother. Now, of course, that means to obey them. Of course, that means to respect them. Of course, that means to reverence them. But you want to know something? The, The primary meaning of that commandment, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, it means that when they get older, that you would take care of them. I mean, you know how it is nowadays, and we have a crisis in our hands today. You know, when parents get older, a lot of times kids don't want anything to do with them. They don't want the heartache. And it is a tough thing when your parents get older, and sometimes they get helpless, and sometimes they get sick. You know, it is a tough thing. It's one of the toughest things in life to take care of them, huh? I'll bet some of you here have gone through that, taking care of your parent as they got older. But you know something? That's exactly what that commandment consists of. It consists of that when your parents get older, that you would take care of them, that you would support them. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks all about that. It talks about widows, and it talks about how the church should take care of the widows unless the widows have children that can take care of them. And then it says, let the children take care of their parents. And then it says right there in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, and if you don't do that, then you as a Christian are worse than a non-believer. It says, if anyone doesn't provide for his household, especially his family, then he's denied the faith and he's worse than a non-believer. 
But see, the Pharisees, what they had done is they came up with this little loophole. They called it Corbin. And they said, okay, if you get older and you don't really want to take care of your parents, this is all you have to do. Tell God and tell your parents that the, the money that you would give to them, you're giving to the church. They called it Corbin. And so rather than taking care of their parents, they gave to the church. They gave to this religious whatever it was. And God is just saying here, and Jesus is just saying here, you guys are missing the whole point. It's not about you being a pastor or a preacher. It's about how do you take care of your parents. You know, it's not about the religious stuff. It's about a relationship. We need to make sure that we don't forget, you guys. It's so easy to get caught up in Christianity and the vernacular and the ruts and the routines and the traditions that we forget really what it's all about. It's about people that God loves, especially your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your children, your friends, the strangers that you run into. That's what this is all about, you guys. It's not about the ruts and routines. God, help us not to forget that. You know, we as Christians, I know it's cool to go through the things that we go through, but let me tell you something. Sometimes I meet people out there on the streets that don't come to church every week, and I look at the way they care for their family, and I'll be honest with you, I think God is more impressed with their heart than with a lot of people who come every week And they have all the religious ruts and routines down. But they don't have God's heart. And that's why we have to have this understanding. You know, the Pharisees, they were just way out there. Rather than obeying the commandments of God, they came up with a whole bunch of traditions of men. And as a result of that, they had a false security. They weren't even saved. And the Lord dealt with them in a very heavy manner. I remember before I was a Christian, and you know, this can, you know, translate into so many ways. You know, in the Catholic Church, they have a lot of traditions and ceremonies and stuff like that. And this is probably something that would apply to them. You know, those ceremonies, those traditions that they elevate over the Word of God, that will never save them. I remember before I was a Christian, I, you know, grew up Catholic. And I always, every time before I prayed, I'd go like this. You know, you guys ever do that? Sign of the cross. And, uh, and if I saw someone dare to pray without doing the sign of the cross, I thought, man, they are, they're, they're not going to go to heaven. <laughs> they didn't do the sign of the cross. And I was like, okay. But then when I became a Christian, I'm like, where's the sign of the cross in here? Why do we elevate many times traditions of men over the word of God? And a lot of times I think we are guilty of that. Man, I just encourage you guys, that's just not to get caught up in the great foolishness, man. Just to remember that God is a God of relationships, not religion. That God is a God of truth and not traditions. And we have to really examine our heart. The Lord wants to make this so clear. So look what he says in verse 10. It says, And when he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. See, we can go ahead. We can eat donuts, you guys. We can eat sausage, man. You know, it's not what goes in that defiles us. We need to remember that. It's what comes out that defiles us. And so it says in verse 12, his disciples came and they said to him, do you know that you, the Pharisees, were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) 
The Lord just has that gift, huh? just being able to <laughs> share the things that are so true. But it says in verse 13, he answered and he said, Listen, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, then both will fall into a ditch. We just got to make sure that we're following the Lord. You know, and when you look at the Lord and when you study who He is, don't you realize, don't we see, huh? He's a God that loves the lost, He's a God that loves the sinners. He's a God that's not really into religion, but he's into relationships. Don't you really see that? How his heart bursts? The Bible says this, he'll leave the 99, he's so blessed that you're saved, but he'll go looking for the one that's lost. That's the Lord. And that's the way we need to be. And he's so patient with us, isn't he? I mean, it's an amazing thing, the way that he has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. He's so patient with us when we see the heart of the Lord and, and, and we need to be that way with others as well. Even Christians. Yes, I know we have certain standards and we want to walk in holiness the best that we can. But, you know, when my son and my daughter mess up, and, you know, they do it quite frequently, just like your children do too, you know. We need to be patient with them because that's the way God is with us. If we're not following the Lord, if this is not about love and a relationship with Him, then we might be following some blind man. And in the end, if you're following the wrong one, you're going to end up in a ditch. It's a ditch of damnation. It's a place called hell. We need to make sure our hearts are right and that we know what this is all about. It says right there in verse 15, And then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. And so Jesus said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth, it goes into the stomach and it's eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a man. Now, it's okay to wash your hands before you eat. It's okay. But, you know, I think Nancy Lee DeMoss, she said this. Some people are more afraid of germs than they are sins. And so they'll wash and they'll wash and they think that's the thing. And God is just saying, listen, no, that's not where it's at. It's not what goes in that defiles us. It's what comes out. And, you know, our heart right here is the problem. And it's kind of interesting there in verse 19. For out of the heart, pursued evil thoughts how many of us have evil thoughts and with those thoughts we murder because we hate somebody or with those thoughts we commit adultery because we're lusting after others god is saying no take every thought into captivity and make sure that you understand the way that god loves the lost i I like this scripture in jeremiah chapter 2 Verse 22, it's an easy one to remember. Jeremiah 2, 22, it says this. For though you wash yourselves with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord. Whatever you want to do, you guys, don't let this be a religion. Whatever you do, don't allow this to be something on the outside. Oh, I went to church today, therefore, you know, you get 10 points. No, surrender your heart and your love to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we'll end up 
living a life, dying in great foolishness. We learn that today in Matthew 15. Another thing we learn is great faith. Because look what it says in Matthew 15, verse 21. It says, And then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, Listen, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and he said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. It's so cool being able to study the Bible. You know, and that's all we do, you guys, when we get together. My word means nothing. It's God's word that counts. And what is the message that Matthew tries to convey to us? Well, I think one of the things he wants to warn us against is the great foolishness of having a superficial relationship, of being religious and not having, you know, the heart for God. We see that there in verses 1 through 20. But I think now the Lord wants to teach us another thing, and it has to do with an encouragement to us that we would have great faith. Isn't that cool what the Lord says right there in verse 28? Oh, woman, great is your faith. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if that's what the Lord said about us? That as we live our life and as we're going through the things that we go through, that rather than being a doubting disciple, rather than being doubting Thomases, rather than being that woman or that man who really lacks the prayer life that needs to be persistent, that we would have a great faith. I mean, here we see just an incredible situation. Here, this Syrophoenician woman, her daughter is demon-possessed. Now, today on Mother's Day, as we think about that, I don't think I can think of anything worse in life than that. To have your daughter, the one that you definitely love more than yourself, to have her there in that situation. We don't know how she got there. Maybe it was through drugs. Somehow she opened the door to demons. And there she is in bondage and chains. There's nothing that she can do. There's nothing that anyone can do. Imagine that. But what happened? Well, it's kind of interesting. Mark chapter 7, again, it tells us that Jesus had gone away and he traveled a long ways, uh, uh, really up to Tyre and Sidon. Man, he's going up north probably 200 miles. He kind of wants to get some rest. But this Syrophoenician woman, somehow she finds him. And as she's there, she, you know, she begins to pray. And, you know, whatever situation you're facing today, Whatever the challenges are that you have as a parent, you're thinking of your children and you're wondering, man, I don't know if they're going to make it in life. I don't know if they're going to make it to heaven. I mean, they just seem so uh, against the Lord. They just so don't want him. What are you going to do? Well, this is the best thing to do, I think, and that is to pray for them, right? 
And so you begin to pray for your children. Um, I'm sure many of you here are praying for your children. Does it ever seem like God's ignoring you? And that's kind of what it seems like right here is this, you know, woman is praying to Jesus. It, it says right there in verse 23 that he answered her not a word. I mean, there you are, and you've been praying for how long? Three weeks? Maybe it's been three months, and it seems like you're getting nothing. What do you do? A lot of people give up. But this woman, great faith, she does not stop. She continues to pray, right? Until there in verse 24, it says, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sometimes when you're praying, it seems like God is not hearing, God is ignoring you. Keep praying, okay? Keep praying. Sometimes when you're praying, it seems like God has other plans. I wasn't sent to you, I was sent to them. You know what? Keep praying, right? Keep praying. Sometimes when you're praying, it seems like, man, you're, you're, you're getting just so humbled. You find out who you are. You're just wretched sinner. God reveals to you, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, that we're, we're dogs. That's what kind of <laughs> what God reveals to us, you know. And in this you know, language right here, um, the, the Jews did call the Gentiles dogs in a derogatory way. Um, it's kind of interesting. Jews don't have any cuss words. In order to cuss, they have to speak English. That's kind of an interesting thing, man. <laughs> the worst that they got right here, though, is that they would call the Gentiles dogs. But Jesus uses a term more affectionate. You're like a little puppy. I wasn't sent to you. The primary mission right now is I'm you know, sent to the lost house of the children of Israel. And, and so, in a sense, she's kinda, it's revealed to her that, that she's just a, a little dog. And again, for some, when they find out that they're a sinner, when they find out really how wretched they are, when we just acknowledge that, a lot of times what we'll do, what will we do? We'll stop praying. God's ignoring me. God has different plans. I'm such a wretched person. I'm sure that he can't hear my cries. But you know what? Keep praying. Keep praying. The Lord says, listen, no, this is for the children of Israel. And what does she say? Listen, God, if you would just give me the crumbs that fall off the table, I know that my daughter will be well. And that's, that's got to be our prayer, you guys. That's got to be our prayer. The situations that you're facing right now, you've got to pray. You've got to continue to go to your Heavenly Father, the one that loves you so much. You know, and I know it's so easy to do all those other things. And here is Jesus there in Tyre and Sidon. He's in the Gentile territory, man. And I don't know how many people really went looking after him. Today in this world that we live in, I wonder how many people are really seeking the Lord like this and praying with all their heart. That's how you know whether or not a person really believes is whether or not they pray. That's how you know. And then as you're there and as you're praying, man, you just never give up. You have this great faith. God can do anything. And that's the heart that we need to have as well. And so as a result of that, look what it says in verse 28. Jesus answered and then said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And God will do that for you, moms. God will answer your prayers, dads. God will go before us. There is nothing impossible for him. 
And I know we're all facing those situations. I, you know, sometimes I think about the church and I, you know, I just want to reach the lost and you want to impact the city. And man, as I was reading this, the Lord just reminded me again, man, listen, I can do this. But you just don't stop praying. And we learned that lesson today. You know, one of my favorite quotes in this whole area, believe it or not, is from that movie. Have you guys seen that movie, The Incredibles? It's an incredible movie, huh? It's really... A cool movie. I like it, man. But, you know, as things began to get a little dangerous there, if you guys remember the movie, and they went to the, the, the island right there, um, you know, things got dangerous. Things were getting crazy. It was chaotic. And it was at that point where the mom then turned to the daughter and she said, listen, we cannot any longer afford the luxury of doubt. No more doubt. She said, when the time comes, I know You'll come through because it's in your blood. I love that. And of course, I make the Christian analogy. I always do that to every movie that I watch, you know, and I think the same thing. I said, you know what, Lord, it's true. You know, we're living in a time where it's so dangerous, so crazy, so chaotic now. All of you guys are facing situations. And, you know, we just can't afford, we don't have the luxury of doubt any longer. We've got to pray in faith and just know that it's in the blood. It's in the blood, man that God will do the great work. And so I love Matthew 15. We learn to avoid the great foolishness of self-righteousness. We learn the, the, just the inclination that God wants to set our hearts to have great faith. And, and then the third thing here, beginning in verse 29, I call it this, I call it great feet. Great feet. Because look what it says in verse 29. And then Jesus departed from there And he skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. And then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And notice where they put him. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. And so the multitudes marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. As I read this right here, I hope you guys don't mind, you know, but I I just thought, you know what, there's so much here. It's an amazing thing when you see how the Lord is now moving from the Jews. He's moving to the Gentiles. And as he comes to this location right here, he's skirting the Sea of Galilee, that these people, they knew he was there. What did they do? They came and they laid down all their situations, all their circumstances, all the pain, all the people. They laid them down, it says right there, at Jesus' feet. Jesus' feet. And when I read that, as you guys have read the Bible, huh? you know there's something about Jesus' feet. huh? There is this something about Jesus' feet. And as I read the Bible, man, there, there is an amazing thing, you guys. That's where we need to be. Did you know that? That we need to be at Jesus' feet? That we need to bring our situations to Jesus' feet? That that right there is kind of like, man, the, the place. As a matter of fact, there's a few verses I thought maybe we could turn to to talk a little bit about this. If you would, turn over to Luke chapter 7 and, and notice what it says in Luke 7 in verse 36, it says, And then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, 
She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. You know, one of the things that we'll see as we look at the Lord is that we are all great sinners. I mean, this woman right here was a great sinner. And I've seen some of you guys. You're pretty good at it too. (laughs) You're great sinners. You know what? I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. As long as you're on this side of of time, you're going to continue to be great sinners. And where this woman is right here, this is where we need to be, you guys. Knowing that as we go to the Lord and we just cast ourselves on His mercy, as we kiss His feet, as we anoint them with fragrant oil, what it is is symbolic of saying, God, help me with my sin. Lord, when we look at His feet, first thing we see is, number one, it's representative of our sin. Number two, if you go over to Luke chapter 8, Look what it says right there in verse 40. And so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. When we think of the feet, and I know there's so much more to this, one thing, though, that I think of is our sin. We're all great sinners. Another thing I think of is our surrender. I mean, have you ever fallen, literally fallen at someone's feet? I don't think we have. We've never been in the presence of such majesty, such royalty. But, you know, when it comes to the Lord and who He is, that's where we would fall. There's our sin. There's our surrender. Now, here Jairus right here, he was the ruler of the synagogue, and so I'm sure he tried everything else. I'm sure he tried all his Jewish prayers and it didn't seem to work. She tried all the doctors, man. There was no hope there for his daughter. He finally came to that point in his life where he realized there's only one hope. There's only one place. There's only one man. And that was Jesus. And what, what, what did he do? He just fell at his feet. And that's symbolic, you guys, of our surrender. How we need to do the same thing. You know, it doesn't matter what you're facing in the past or in the future or even today, the things that you're going through. Understand there's only one that can help you through this. And we need to be right there at Jesus' feet. I just really encourage you guys, you know, to come to the Lord. There may be some of you here today and you're just sick and tired of life. The things that you're going through, the marriage problems that you're having, maybe the, you know, the financial difficulties or whatever it is that you're facing in life, the emptiness, the loneliness, the trials that you have, the physical ailments that you have. I just encourage you, man, to to be sick and tired of being sick and tired, to throw in the towel, to raise the white flag, to really truly say with all your heart, God, I just surrender. No longer will I try it on my own. I pray that we would surrender to him. That's where the feet are. We see our sin. We see our surrender. And and then one last thing. We turn over to Luke chapter 10. Look what it says in verse 30. 
8, And then it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also, notice what it says, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. You see, when we think of the seat, we think of our sin, the feet, we think of our surrender. And then the last thing is this. I believe it's a place of our study. It's a place of our study. You know, in this life that you live and all the things that you're distracted with, so many temptations how to keep you busy in life, huh? I mean, it's crazy, you guys, how many channels there are on cable television nowadays. <laughs> I think there's like, man, 250 channels, man. And then all the, the DVDs you have and all the devotional books you might even have and all the Christian books that you have and all the things that you have scheduled in your day planner. And the enemy just loves it. He wants to distract you with whatever, even sometimes with serving. But we need to make sure, you guys, that we study, that we sit at Jesus' feet. Because right there, the Lord says, that's the one thing that's needed, and it will not be taken away. I really encourage you guys to become students of the Bible, to really open up the Bible. A lot of you here, unfortunately, and I say this just out of a heart of care, you don't open the Bible except on Sundays. And you're missing out on so much. I encourage you, open up the Bible every single day. You open up the Bible and you start reading wherever it is in the Gospel of Matthew and you just read. And as you're there, you just say, God, speak to me. Here I am, I'm sitting at your feet. I'm a disciple, I'm a student. Lord, teach me who you are. And as we do that, God will do such a great work. You see, we need to know about the great foolishness of the Pharisees and scribes and be warned against that. We need to learn this morning from the great faith of the Syrophoenician woman and we need to know how great the feet of Jesus really are because it's right there when we deal with our sin and our surrender and our study that our life will change. And then the last thing we see right here in Matthew 15 is the great feeding. Because look what it says in verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. And now those who ate, it says, were 4,000 men besides women and children. And then he sent them away and got into the boat and came to the region of Magdala.
We learn today from the great uh, foolishness, the great faith, the great feet, and then the great feeding. Now, we read in chapter 14 of Matthew of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We now see him feeding the 4,000 plus women and children. Last time in Matthew, he fed the Jews. This time he feeds the Gentiles. Last time they sat on the grass. This time they sit on the ground. Both times there were baskets of leftovers and both times he multiplied what was given to him. Both times Jesus used his disciples to serve the people in the same way. And so you look at this and there are so many things for us to learn. But you know, one of the things that is exactly the same, is kind of interesting, is that number one, Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. And number two, Jesus was able to meet their needs. And I think that's probably one of the primary points that we want to walk away with today, you guys. That, you know, your life is not hidden. That God sees exactly what is going on. He sees the hurts. He sees the needs. He sees the emptiness inside that so many of us, even as Christians, experience in life. He, he sees and He has compassion for you. He's merciful and He is also able. Isn't that cool? You're thinking, no, no, there's no way. Imagine that, feeding 10,000 people. That's just crazy, man. I mean, you just give them a few fish and some loaves and, you know, shazam, there it is, man, everything. And then, you know, he just gives to the disciples and then they give to the people. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says literally they were stuffed, you know, which I don't like to be anymore, but man, we get stuffed. And then there's just all these leftovers, And here you are today thinking that God's not able to meet your need. Here you are today thinking that, you know what, what this is is too big. It's just too big for God and it's too big for me. It's too big for us. Yes, it is too big for us, but it's not too big for God. God can meet the needs, you guys. And we need to just have that understanding in our heart that he is, number one, merciful, and number two, he is able. And I just love, just as a side note here, the, the pattern that we see, the way that he meets those needs. Because I think as we close today, it's kind of good to have this in our hearts. You know, there's enough food to feed the whole world. There really is. Did you guys know that? But there's just not enough people willing to go out there and to, and to minister, to labor. There's enough love from God. There's enough power from God, I believe, to save so many more people. But I don't think there's enough people willing to serve. And so the problem is not with God, and sometimes it's not always with them. The problem a lot of times is with the church. We don't really understand the divine pattern, the way that it works. You know, we, we pray, God bless me, God bless me. You know, and that's a cool thing to pray. You know, we want God's blessings. And by that, we don't always mean financial things. We don't always mean physical things. We mean spiritual things. God bless me. And that's cool. And the Lord will do that. But you guys, it's got to be more than that. What did the Lord do when he got the stuff, the fish, the bread? The Bible says he blessed them. But then what did he do after that? He broke them. Huh. And then he gave them away. And that's what God is trying to do in our life. But and it's, 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 I don't know how it works sometimes, you know. I have a feeling that we can be stubborn 
uh, people. Huh? We were talking a little bit about that earlier. Someone was saying, oh, she's stubborn. I said, no, she's not. Yes, she is. You know, are you guys stubborn? I know I can be stubborn sometimes. You know, sometimes in our marriage, and here we are, husband and wife, and, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they do something against you. And I can just uh, use Shelly as an example. Every once in a great, great while, she'll do something wrong, okay? And, uh, and then, so what do I do as a husband? What do I do? I just, I fight it tooth and nail. I'm like, boom, I fight fire with fire. I go toe-to-toe with her. I tell her how wrong she is. You know? And God is saying, Manny, don't you remember what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to die to yourself. You're supposed to put her needs before yours. Remember my son, Manny? Remember Jesus? Who nailed him to the cross? The church did. The bride did. The bride nailed him to the cross. Sometimes your bride will nail you to a cross, husband. And we've got to let it happen. Because it's all part of the process of what? Of dying to ourself. You know, if you're here today and you're a husband and, and you're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church, then you're missing the whole point, man. Remember what we were talking about earlier? God is more interested in people than he is in pastors and preachers. I pray that we would know, you guys, what the mission is. God wants to bless us, Yes. But remember, before he can give us away and use us the way that he wants to, to meet the needs of all the people, he needs to break us. And what does that mean? It's real simple. No longer is it my will. That's, that's the bottom line. It's no longer my life. It's no longer what I want to do, what I insist on doing, even what I want to do. No, it's thy will be done. And as we have that in our hearts, you guys, God will do the great feeding that is necessary today. As we live in the last days, God is looking for men and women with that heart. And so this morning we learn, you know, about the great foolishness, the traditions over truth. Don't let it happen, man. The religion over relationships. Don't, you guys. Let's be real Christians. This morning we learn about the great faith. Don't stop praying. Please, don't stop praying. We learn about the great feet, how we come to the Lord with our sin and our surrender and in our study. And then we learn this morning about the great feeding, how Jesus is merciful and is able to meet all the needs of the multitudes. But you and I as a church, we need to know that there is an aggressive cooperation that needs to take place, that there is a self-mortification that needs to happen, that we really do need to die to ourselves so that God can use our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for Matthew 15, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to take all these things to heart. Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't know you, who came today and they're hurting inside, or Lord God, they just are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Maybe they're here today and they're struggling with drinking or alcohol or whatever it is, Father, pornography. 
God, I just pray that you would minister to every heart. And Lord, if there's any here that don't know you, today I pray that you would speak to them of their great need for you and that you would just allow a harvest to take place, Lord. And just as you guys are praying and every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just in case, man, I don't know, man, if there's anyone here today and you're not a Christian, And you came in today, and I don't know why, maybe you came because it's Mother's Day. Or maybe you came somehow, you just ended up, here you are. I just want you to know, man, that God loves you. And that God died for you. And that when you die, He wants you to go to heaven. But there's only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ. And then right now, we just want to give you that opportunity to receive Him as your Lord and Savior to turn from your sins and to receive him. And so if you're here today and you want to do that, you want to receive the Lord right where you're at as everybody's just praying, man, only God can save a soul, that you would just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anyone here today, the best decision you can ever make in your life. Don't be afraid, man. This is where it's at. Anyone here today, just raise your hand. And we're going to pray for you, man. Don't be afraid. Anyone here? Okay, let's pray. Father, as we partake of communion now, Lord, I just thank you for the cross. I thank you for loving us, Lord. I thank you for loving every single person here, Lord. And we just pray that this work that you've begun in us, Lord, that you would complete it. And uh, Lord, as we partake of communion together, Lord, I pray it would be special. I pray that you would allow us by your grace, every single person here, to be able to forget about other things and to just to focus on you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you. May he bless his time, Lord. In Jesus' name. As we pass out the bread and the cup, you guys just hold on to it.